was telling myself, don't forget to turn on your mic, and I forgot. Um, which is the whole crux of today's sermon, actually, is don't forget. Uh, if there's one thing my parents will tell you is that I was a very forgetful teenage boy. Not that any other teenage boy is ever forgetful. Um, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> but this morning, uh, we are going to be continuing. If you remember last time I preached, uh, which was probably two months ago at this point, uh, we, I did kind of a quick overview of the first book of John, first book of the, the first letter of John. So 1 John 1. This isn't, I'm not trying to one of gospel of John that Tommy's doing. Uh, this is kind of written by the same author, but later on in John's life. And so I talked about 1 John, uh, the first chapter. It's all about light. It's all talking about Christ coming into the world, that he was a real person. They fully stepped, that he dealt with having to have stinky feet and uh, bad food and having to compliment his waiter even if the food was bad. All those things, that Jesus was a real living human. And as this week, as I kind of remembered and went back through everything I, I read, it kind of it hit me that, that Jesus was real. And I guess that's maybe um, an obvious thing since we're in church, in a Christian church, that Jesus was real. But oftentimes I think of him kind of like I think of Hercules or some other, uh, George Washington or something. You know, somebody who happened in history that doesn't have a lot of effect on my life. They lived a long time ago, but they aren't here. But the cool thing about Jesus is he is here. Jesus is alive. We may not be able to see him in this moment, but he is here. The same Jesus who walked the earth 2,000 years ago that John hung out with, that he wrote this letter to a church about, those people who received who probably knew Jesus or at least knew people who knew Jesus. He was affirming in them that Jesus was real. Now, I've met a lot of people in my day, um, and sometimes I forget who I've met, or sometimes I forget that we had a conversation about something. Like I said, I'm very forgetful, and so I need reminders. And if the Old and New Testament are good at anything, it's reminding us of things that we've forgotten. Uh, if we look at the book of Judges, every generation, it says the people forgot God and did what was right in their own eyes. And so we're picking up, we're picking up the last two verses of chapter 1 in 1 John, and then we're going a few verses into the future, into chapter 2. And these are reminders. There's actually three reminders that are repeated three times in this passage, uh, which I think is uh, kind of important. Um, and so be reading this morning, like I said, from 1 John 1, 8, 2 through, and then to 2, 6. And so if you'll read with me now from the first letter of John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come up to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Would you pray with me quick? Dear Heavenly Holy Father, we just lift up this time to you where we dive into your word, this beautiful thing you have given us to nurture us, to help us grow. So I pray you be in my head and in my thinking, in my mouth, in my speaking, in my heart, in my understanding, Lord. Let it affect us. Let it deeply tear away the sin and the darkness that is in us and allow us to be lights in our community of Kent, in the world. We pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. So I started seminary. Uh, for me, it was a while ago, but it was 2014. Um, I graduated college. I did some Hebrew and then hopped straight into seminary. was really excited. We get to our first chapel, and it's kind of like a commencement introduction. Um, our chancellor of RTS, his name's Ligon Duncan. He's got that good, deep, kind of like Georgian Southern accent voice that really kind of resonates with your bones. Uh, and one of the first things he said uh, is, is not a question, as Tommy always answer, uh, asks, but it's kind of a more did you know. And the did you know he stuck with was the average person within a week's time 90% um, of what they heard on Sunday morning, they have forgotten. And over half that is forgotten by Monday morning. And I'm sitting there, an excited seminary student that wants to talk to people and talk in front of people for the foreseeable future. Be like, are you telling me everybody's going to forget what I said every week? Everything I say? But then he prefaced it. He said, but you're in good company. Uh, Martin Luther who uh, lived a long time ago, we can thank him for having a Bible in a language we can read. People would run up to him and be like, Dr. Luther, why do we talk about Jesus every week? And he would look at the student and be like, because I forget about Jesus every week. I need Jesus every week. That so often um, the, the crux of Christianity is that we're really good at, at coasting, at keeping those memories here, and we hold on to those. Those are good. Those are packages in the back. But we forget that it's a tool. It's something we're supposed to constantly be using to shaping our hearts and our minds and the way we interact with this world. So when John's writing this letter, he's not writing to people who've never heard about Jesus before. He's probably not even writing to people who, who um, are just kind of heard Jesus for the first time. He's more than likely reaching out to people who are teachers, people who've heard the gospel, people who may have heard Jesus teach. And the first thing he says, after he talks about the light and the dark, talk about who Jesus is, he says something uh, that always shakes me up. It's always something that I don't like hearing. In verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. First thing he says, he's like, Hey, you're a sinner. Don't forget it. Don't forget that you're a sinner. And so this morning, I want to focus on those three reminders that John talks about. And the three reminders are what we are, who Christ is, and how we're called to live. And those three reminders, like I said, are repeated three times just in those short little passage we're in. Because you got to remember when the Bible was written, when this letter was written, John didn't put, okay, this is going to be chapter 2, this is where verse 1 is, verse 2. These were just long letters. And kind of the, the people who put uh, the ESV together, whichever uh, version of the Bible you have in front of you, they separated them out, kind of make us easier for reference, for understanding. And so they're reading along 
And he's talking about the grace of God. He's talking about the light of the Father. He's talking about how Christ enters into our world. And the first thing he says is that we are sinners. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't need a constant reminder that I'm a sinner. Um, First off, maybe because I'm married, um, that I constantly mess up. And I constantly need that uh, forgiveness, but also just reminder um, that I'm not perfect, that I don't do everything right. My dad has one of my favorite quotes where he would say that uh, I'm the smartest person I know, which I always thought was funny. And the older I get, the more I laugh at it, but the more I realize I think that. Like I said, when I was a kid, I would be very forgetful. Uh, and so my mom would teach me that classic thing. I don't know if students nowadays know this because you have iPhones, I can remind you, but we would tie a ribbon around your finger. I grew up in the, the country of Michigan, um, out in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road, and I'd be very forgetful. And so my mom would be like, you have to remember to do this when you're out with the goats. And we raise goats. I'd always remember to f- give them water, to break the ice water, but I'd always forget to feed them. And so my mom would have to tie twine, even when I was like 13, <laughs> to remember to feed the goats. Uh, it was 5 a.m. It was, it was an early time in the morning. Um, but that, that piece of string was a reminder. I would look at it and be like, oh yeah, remember this. I think that's what John's doing here. Because I don't think he's telling a bunch of people that know that they're perfect. I think he's reminding people about their status before Christ. And we remind you that we're sinners, and if we admit we're not sinners, we're liars. He's reminding us that the people we interact with outside of the church are just as lost as we are. That we have no hope. It's a very positive way to start on this sunny Washington day. That John starts off that we are sinners. That without an extra hand, without something coming in from, from the left or right wing, we are hopeless. And then he, he, he talks about um, a few more things, which we'll hit in a second. But then that uh, in verse 10, one A verse and a half later, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is in us, not in us. So who is he talking about there? Well, if you show up on Wednesday nights with my students, you'll know I constantly ask, who's the Bible about? And they always remind me, Jesus. It's a really good answer uh, if you take anything or learn anything from me, as I constantly want Jesus to be on the forefront of your lips when talking about the Bible. Then when it's talking about his word, it's talking about Jesus' word. It's talking about God, the Father. It's talking about both of them working together to remind us that we are sinners, that our word is not in him. If we claim to be Christians, right, our, our, our title on the internet and, and just in your day-to-day life, maybe it's in your bio on one of your handles or on your LinkedIn, or maybe just going to church, your coworkers know, be like, that's Matt Garcia, he's a Christian, Sorry, Matt. Uh, But that is one of our labels. And so if we're Christians, we claim that, that means we're image bearers. That means when you go out, you're representing who you claim to follow. And so what John's reminding the people here, if you're walking around saying, I'm I'm so great, I don't don't even mess up, barely at all. You know, maybe the other day I stubbed my toe and said something I, I shouldn't have, but besides that... Reuben's being pretty good today. Uh, John reminds us that if we say we have no sin, we're making God a liar. And why does that make God a liar? 
Well, because if you read the first 48, 50 books of the Bible, God is telling his people constantly that we need a savior, that we need to be saved from uh, not only this world as we constantly kind of focus in on, but ourselves. That our hearts, as our pro- a professor of mine used to say, are just idol factories. That we're constantly being distracted. That we constantly are running towards things that aren't God. And if we're representing God and saying we're perfect, then there was no need for Jesus to come. If we don't mess up, then there's no reason Jesus had to die on that cross. While I was studying this, I constantly thought of that song, that hymn, where it says, My sin is what held him there until it was accomplished. And that breaks my heart. I wasn't there to see it, but some days, on really rough days, you can feel it, can't you? It really brings you and rocks you to your core. When one of my friends asked me why I chose to move 2,000 miles away to Jackson, Mississippi to go to seminary, I said it was because when my, me and my dad visited, Professor got up there and cried as he read through John 3:16. Probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. We could probably all say it verbatim right now if I asked. But he, but he started weeping over this very common, this very well-known verse. And I think it was because Dr. Glad realized who he was. That apart from Jesus' saving grace, he was a sinner without hope. And the third time John reminds us of who we are, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That we are sinners, and so that means we don't, by default, want to follow God's rules. That we, by default, uh, are twisted and, and trying to run away as fast as we can from God. And without God picking us up, shaking us a little bit, and turning us in the right direction, we're not going to go the way we're supposed to. Whether you've been a Christian one month, one year, a hundred years, we constantly need that. We constantly catch ourselves. That's why every week here at New Hope we confess our sins and we, we pray silently our sins together. And then Tommy always affirms in us that we are forgiven. Because we have that hope. We don't have to just revel in our sin and be worried about what's to come. When I first moved out here, I met a gentleman who's um, in a band that's kind of in the kind of Seattle classic scene uh, in the 90s, kind of that grunge metal punk scene, kind of a music that I love and music he was in. And we talked about how we both connected with it as Christians because they admit that the world's messed up. If you can stand listening to loud music like that and you hear the lyrics, most of the lyrics are like, hey, the world's messed up and we don't know how to fix it. Or the world's messed up. Uh-oh. And so he got into the music industry because he believed that, but it didn't end there. He had a hope. He had something to look forward to. That yes, he, he could come to terms with his sin, he could be humbled by his sin, but he also could turn... And look at God and weep with joy. Because Christ had saved him despite his sin, despite everything he was doing wrong. And that's one of the first things we connected on. And every time I listen to his music, it's a constant reminder about the hope despite our sinful state. And so John reminds us three times here that we are sinners. What's the next thing he reminds us? Well, the next thing he tells us is about who Christ is. So if we're sinners, 
right? Where can we go get help? Back when I was in college, I dealt with a lot of people who weren't Christians. I'd be like, oh, you go to church every Sunday, you think you're so great. And I would constantly tell them, I was like, I don't go to church because I'm healthy. That church is a place for sick people. These doors should be open and accessible for people who know they are without hope. Who are able to sit in these pews and be comforted by the word of God. Who when they interact with Christians should be comforted by the love and by the grace. because Not because of anything how great we are, but because of how great God is. Because if he can show that grace to Reuben, he definitely could show it to people outside these doors. I promise you that. If we're honest with ourselves, I think Tommy said a few weeks ago, if we're able to look at somebody and be like, they're too far gone, then you're too far gone. That no one's outside the reach of God's hope for the gospel. No one's outside of the reach of that comfort and that grace. So John tells us who our Savior is. He tells us who Christ is. So he tells us we're sinners. And everybody's like, uh oh. And then verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That Jesus is faithful. That despite us messing up and us being sinners and us forgetting things, Jesus hasn't forgotten you. There's one thing you take away this morning. I pray it's that Jesus hasn't forgotten you. That Jesus loves you. And that he forgives. Because if he didn't, if he stopped after like three or four times of me repeating the same sin, I'd be, I'd be done for. But Jesus promises a constant forgiveness. It doesn't mean we get to remain in that, but I'll get to that in a second. But Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. He is the one who sits on the right hand of God the Father, who died for us. And so then I said again, in verse 10, it tells us we've sinned. And then beginning of chapter 2, it says, My little children. I love how he uses that. It's a humbling term, isn't it? My little children. I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's a propitiation for our sins. That Christ not only just sits on the side of God the Father and just kind of quietly sits there, you know, right hand. No, Christ is constantly advocating for us. Christ died even though knowing how the full pain. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear through his prayer that he says, Lord, if there was another way, if there was another way to, to, to save these people, let it be. But if not, your will be done. Like Christ knew he was going to take our full weight. Oftentimes, uh, we kind of skip over this idea of propitiation. It's a big word. It's a $5 word, as my dad would say. Um, and in, in Christian culture, there's two terms. If you look at any commentary, uh, there's this idea of propitiation and expiation. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Expiation. Bro, uh, expiation is kind of like if you if uh, I ran a marathon, you can all laugh. But if I ran a marathon and finished it, and then uh, my brother got the credit for it, be like, I ran the marathon, so now Lee gets all the credit for doing all that work and everything. And that is true, but propitiation kind of expounds on that. That not only did Jesus run the race for us and do everything right for us, he also took the wrath upon himself. I feel like we forget that oftentimes. That, that we acknowledge that Jesus lived a perfect life, so I don't have to worry about not living a perfect life. 
but I feel like it should humble us in reminding us that Jesus also took the wrath that we deserved. His Father, the one whom which he is intertwined more than we can comprehend, turned his face away. Jesus on the cross, at his point of most weakness, most vulnerability, the weight of my sin and the sins of the world on his shoulder, and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? What a lonely place sin is without the hope of the gospel. What a terrifying, bloody, scary place it is. But John gives us hope. It should excite us. The gospel should be something we're pumped about. We're Presbyterians, so we don't jump with it, but in our brains, just jump a little bit. Maybe dance a little bit. Daniel danced a lot, and so did David. Um, Don't dance like David did now. Um, (laughs) And so a third time, it reminds us about who Jesus is. It says, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is truly perfected. We may know that we are in him. We abide in him. We walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Christ walk? Well, Christ walked perfectly. We just said that. That Christ could have sinned, but didn't. That he remained faithful to God. From the time he was born till the time he died and then rose again and was raised, ascended to heaven, Jesus lived a perfect life, but still suffered the same temptations we did. That should be comforting to us. If Jesus was a hero like Hercules or something in a story, you're like, well, he didn't actually exist. So, of course, he's perfect. That's simple. But Jesus was real. John wrote this within the lifetime of seeing Jesus. That's the exciting part about the New Testament. Every single book was written within one generation of Jesus being around. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But they're all right there. Within the first 75 to 90, depending who you talk about, years in between Jesus' birth and all the New Testament being written. It's right there. People were just recounting things that happened. People were affirming it, that Jesus lived a perfect life. It wasn't some story about a fairy tale creature. Jesus was real, and he lived perfectly. And we didn't. We don't. So we constantly need to be reminded of ourselves. We need to constantly run towards Christ. Even if you're feeling confident in yourself, that you're doing really good today, that's when you really need to run to God. That's when you really need to expect your heart. And so 1 John reminds us that we're sinners. It reminds us about who Christ is. He's our example, our sacrifice, despite our spot. But it also reminds us how to live. Growing up, I always thought Christianity was a, a, a line in the sand that I had to jump over. That I was like, all right, not a believer. Believer, I'm good to go. I ain't got to do nothing else. But when we become a Christian, that's the starting point. It's a starting point about affecting everything we do and the way we live, changing our hearts from a sinful, mangled piece of black mush to a beautiful, red, beating heart that pushes us to be more like Christ, pushes us away from our sins, our things that offend God, the things that, that God does not, is not about, <laughs> but pushes us towards our Father in heaven. So what are those commandments? It repeats them three different times. It says you're supposed to keep the commandments. It's talked about Levitical law. Well, no, Jesus satiated that old law. 
Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Yes, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Hopefully you memorized them when you were young. If you're a newer Christian, I highly recommend it. They're a good thing to have in your head, back pocket. The Ten Commandments are a great lineup. They covered a large swath, I would say, the majority of our sins and issues, maybe everything. They're a guide for us to live our lives. They're things we mess up on, and some of them Jesus took a step further. He would talk about, you have heard, don't murder But I tell you the truth, if you have hate in your heart for your brother, it's the same as as murdering and taking his own life. Or you've you've heard not to steal. But I tell you, if you you look lustfully at a woman, then you have committed adultery in your heart. Then oftentimes we want to point out and blame our sin messes up on everybody else, when really it's ourselves. As Christians, we have to take responsibility for our own sin. We can cling to Christ if we mess up, but we must do our darnest to run towards Jesus, his Ten Commandments. What else did Jesus say about the Ten Commandments? Well, there's, a, there's two verses that you probably have heard before that he tells us everything hinges on. He says, and this hinges all the teachings of the law and the prophets. Many times you hear in the New Testament it talks about all the law and the prophets, it's talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about the majority of the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? The majority of the Bible is the Old Testament. It should be something we get excited about. The names can get long or the, the Leviticus can get um, interesting with its different rules. But it's all there to point us to Christ, to remind us about who Christ is in our state at his feet. So what, is Jesus, what does Jesus say about what hinges all the laws and commandments and everything in the Old Testament? Well, it's in Matthew 22. Verses 37 to 40. It says the teachers are uh, interrogating Jesus. They're like, hey, they're like, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? You know, they're trying to trick him up. No matter what he says, they're like, we're going we're gonna to get him. We're going to make a reason for people not to like him. So Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he, he keeps going. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. And on these things hinges the entirety of the prophets in the Old Testament. That Christ died for us despite our sinful state, even when we are still enmity, even when we are still uh, against him, his enemy, he still died for us because Christ loves you. I know that word gets thrown around a lot. We talk about it with, with pizza. We talk about uh, with, with our outfits, how good we're looking. But Jesus really loves you. Jesus really suffered for you because he loves you. Jesus loves you. I'm going to say it a few more times because I, I really want to hit in your brain. Because for a long time, at least in my life, I saw God as someone who's really scary. Or Jesus did this, per- lived this perfect life, and I keep messing it up. So Jesus probably slowly but surely be like, get a little angry at Reuben. Be like, come on, man. We talked about this last week. How could you do it again? But Jesus loves me. He forgives me of my sins. It's an exciting thing. That teaching, when looking at the commandments, should change the way we interact with the world should change the way we interact with people we disagree with this past week we talked about conflict with the students and one of the things i talked about was when i first started my job uh 
when I was living in seminary, I also worked full-time. First time in my job, my boss was uh, an atheist, pretty against religion, was not a fan of me. And we talked, and he was like, hey, I'm not going to talk about, like, my stuff. You don't talk about your stuff, and uh, we'll be square. You can have your job. And I was like, great. Sounds good to me. I didn't advocate be like, how dare you step on my rights? I was just like, cool. Because ultimately, my identity isn't up on how many times or how many arguments I can win or how, how cool I look or how perfect I look to the neighbor. My identity is up in Jesus. And Jesus tells me I'm a sinner who he saved and loved. Let me tell you about two weeks later, his side was out the window. He was back at it again. But I kept my side of the bargain for about five years. Well, we've been friends longer than that now. Six, seven years. I'm getting old. Um, and he hasn't changed a whole lot. But we have become better friends. And I always tell my students that... that that no instance like that is, is out of context. It's not just an insular thing. That, that it was because of a swath of things that happened to him growing up that, uh, that created him to be reactive the way he was towards somebody who was in seminary, like myself. We've become good friends. We, we still disagree on things. Uh, he came to my seminary graduation and everything. Um, so I want to end on a uh, kind of a parable, a teaching that you've probably heard before, but with, with a little caveat, a little extra, a little spice, as I told Tommy, to it. Um, so as Christians, we're constantly talked about sowing and reaping, that we are, that the harvest is bountiful, that we are called to go out and reap the harvest. And to where there's no harvest, we are to plant seeds of the gospel. We're out there to tell people, be like, hey, you've messed up, which we've all Agreed, everyone already knows they've messed up. We're out there to be like, hey, here's the hope of the gospel. Here's Jesus. As Jesus, as Tommy put it, you know, we just open the door, point him towards Jesus. Like, here we go. First thing I'm going to do, point him to Jesus. So we're out there tossing out seeds. Maybe never get to see the harvest. But if you've worked on a farm, which I have, if you've gardened, which I think a good bit of you maybe have, but I know I have, one of the first things you got to do before you even start putting seed down is you got to till the ground. You got to remove the roots and the big bushes and the rocks. Uh, we would uh, we had a giant cornfield right next to us. Sometimes it's alfalfa; they hop back and forth. But you'd have to remove these massive trees, these huge boulders, all these stuff out of the field before he's even willing to plant the seed. So honestly, a lot of my life hasn't been planting seeds, it's been more of the rock-moving business, the tree-uprooting business. And I'd like to tell you it was what everybody has feared and what everybody thinks is what's holding back people from hearing the gospel. It was this ideology. It was, it was this group of people. It was because this happened in my life, that these things are what are labeled on these rocks. Be like, oh, I'm picking up that. It's because, you know, here this really good argument on TikTok or on YouTube and no longer a Christian... Or he, he saw this, and so now he's not a Christian. But when I tell you that 99.99 repeating percent of the rocks I pick up are labeled with a Christian insignia, are labeled with people who often forget that they are sinners too, who forget to show the same grace that Christ shows them. 
that if you're out there planting seeds, that's great. I'm so excited. I hope you get to see harvests. But really watch yourself. Don't be throwing rocks into fields where people are trying to plant seeds. Don't be putting up walls in the way of the gospel. I tell my students, we went through this whole series about identity. Well, what it means, to, what is your identity, right? It's a big thing teenagers wonder. It's a big thing I wonder. You know, what do we identify in? And ultimately, we should have our identity in Christ, right? But we often want to, want to start out by being like, you have to knock down all these barriers, and then I'll introduce you to Jesus, introduce you to your Savior. And brothers and sisters, that's not how it works. Jesus didn't crawl up on that cross and die and then say, okay, here's 85 walls you need to hop on, and then you can come meet me at the cross. When that thief, robber, murderer next to him was hanging there and looked at Jesus and said, you don't deserve to be here. Jesus is like, you're right, man. Have fun wherever you're going. Jesus looked at him and said, you have put your faith in what is correct. Today you will be with me in paradise. So run towards teaching people about Jesus. But he get excited that you don't stay there. Becoming a Christian means you get to push off into a new world that changes you for the better, that changes you to be more like Jesus, that the commandments that Jesus talked about that are written about in the Old Testament are things we should affect and affect us and change us. When introducing people to Jesus, it's very easy to remind ourselves that we are sinners, remind them about who Jesus is, and remind them that once we get saved... We get to keep going from there. We get to follow his commandments, that Jesus doesn't leave us in our sin, but picks us up out of the muck and the mire to become more like him. Remember that. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly and Holy Father, we thank you for your word, that it is a constant reminder about who we are, that we are sinners. We are people who are chastised and struck down, people without hope, But your word also reminds us you are a God who loves us, a God who picks us up, who hugs us, who affirms in us that we are loved, that our sin does not stop us from being saved, Lord, because you took that on the cross. Lord, thank you that the Bible reminds us that we will not stay in our sin, but rather get to run towards you, get to run towards what you are calling us to be, to be more like you. And I pray you affect and change our hearts so that we be more and more like you. That we help people not to become copies of ourselves, but copies of you, to run towards Jesus. We pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.